Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Well, picture here, arrow pointing up. It's, it's the journey that we all are on, Godward, moving toward all that God has for us. And the truth of the matter is, God has made the journey to us. Jesus has descended. No other God has come down to meet with His people in the way that Jesus has taken on flesh in the Incarnation and come down to meet with us. And so it's not a matter of of earning a place with God. We're already righteous before God in Jesus. The upward journey is is a process of walking out what we already have, of, grow, of growing into the, the shoes we've already been given, if, if you can kind of get that analogy. So, so the upward journey is, is, a, is a journey of being matured in our faith and understanding who God is and reflecting Him more appropriately. But He's already made, made it clear that, that, uh, that we're right before Him because of what He's done. So, you can get this. I got, a, I got a, a laser pointer. I just had it. So, the, there's this verse that we're looking at kind of as a, a catch all verse for the upward journey, and it's this Second Corinthians. 3.18 It says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So as we behold the Lord, as we, as we gaze on Him, as we look at Him and, and see Him for who He is, we actually are transformed into His image. Now we know that We've all been made in His image. In, in creation, God made man and woman in His image. And, and the, this is actually, this being transformed is actually being remade into the original image that, that we were created in. It's nothing? I'll just navigate this up here. So, so this, this morning, we're going to look at the goodness of God. For the next seven or eight weeks, we're going to look at these attributes of God. <laughs> these attributes of God, uh, starting with His goodness. Now, actually, last week, was it, you were here, Pastor Mark? Yes. So Pastor Mark covered God's mercy and love. So it's not starting with goodness, it's starting with mercy and love. But either way, for the next eight weeks, we're looking at different attributes because... As the Second Corinthians passage says, when we see Him, when we know Him, we're transformed to look like Him and to act like Him and to think like Him. And so we want to look at the, His attributes so that we can know Him better. And so we'll start just with... We're going to go just simply through creation, fall, redemption, and then look at beholding God, and then look at what it means to be transformed. So there's a couple different moving parts, but it starts like this. In creation, God saw everything that He had made, 
And behold, he said, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This is after he made man. Every day up until then, he said, this is a good day. And he makes man, he says, everything that I've made is very good because what he makes is out of who he is. He is good. And so everything that he does is good. Because God is good, because that's his nature, that's his character, the ways that he acts, the things that he does, the things that he creates are, are good. There, there can be nothing else. And so he creates, and it's good. And yet there's, there's something that happens along the way in the garden, in this place of, of connection that, that God has with man, where there's a, there's a fall. And, um, and, and really what happens is, when it, when it comes to goodness, mankind, humankind says, you have your idea of goodness. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that I would rather determine what is good. I would rather be in control of what I say is good and what I say is bad. And so there's this paradigm of good and evil that God ordains, and basically man says, no, I want to I determine what's good and evil. I want to determine what I call good and what I call bad. And so, in James, the book of the New Testament, the letter of James, he writes, Do not be deceived, my brethren. And he writes this because when it comes to goodness, there's, there's a lot of deception. There's a lot of confusion. We, we kind of know what's evil, but we don't always know what's good. There's a lot of different opinions about what is good. And so he writes, Don't be deceived, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from where? Above. Every good thing given is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. That's where goodness comes from. And so once we get that, then we can kind of gauge our deception level. Because if I'm deriving my source of goodness from somewhere else, then there's a likelihood that I'm being deceived because the source of goodness is from God. But then, there's, like I said, there's the, there's the fall. There's this disorientation. We don't even know what's good or what's evil. In, in the Bible, I just want to look at three examples of where goodness has gone haywire. So, so Genesis Three, there's the fall. You can read about it. It goes on through the generations of Adam. It gets to Noah. Noah is several generations removed from Adam. And the Bible says, In Noah's day, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Only evil continually. And yet you can imagine, in Noah's day, there was you're going to do what you think is good. The people in his day were doing what they thought was good. And it turns out to be that it was only evil all the time. Because their hearts were fallen. Their, their paradigm of what is good was so perverted and distorted that they thought that what they were doing was, was good and it was going to benefit them somehow because we're not going to seek out that what's going to was going to de- destroy us. So every, every thought of their hearts was only evil all the time. But, but yet God shows that even in this point, he, did, 
He actually does send a flood. And, and yet he, he gives a covenant with Noah. The covenant is this kind of thread throughout the Bible that, that showcases God's goodness in spite of, of human brokenness and human sin. God, God continues to put forth a covenant and it only gets better and better until we see in Jesus that there's a better covenant with better promises. In Noah's day, God gives a covenant and says, I'm going to wipe out everything. He actually, it actually says he repented. He regretted having ever made man because there was only evil all the time. And yet he gives a covenant. He preserves Noah and his family. So then, centuries later, we see the Israelites are, are delivered from the, from the hand of the Egyptians. They're sent into the wilderness where they are wandering for 40 years, where God gives the law. The law is good. It's meant to showcase God's goodness, His, or His, His rules, the way that, that, that we're to live. The law was given to the Israelites so that they could live and say, this is what it looks like to be righteous. This is what it looks like to be good. It wasn't, it wasn't given to spite them. It was given to bless them. The law was a gift from God given to His people that He had chosen to lead them. And so, the period of the judges is when the Israelites are in the land. They're in the land that they've been given and they've, they've been set up judges. At this point, God hadn't given them a king because the plan was for God to be their king. The plan was for God to be the king of His people and and yet, even with the law, it says that in those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And they had been given the law. They had been told what was good. And yet they did what was right in their own eyes. It's actually interesting. In this, in this passage, there's this, there's this character named Micah. And Micah sets himself up as a priest. He wasn't a Levite. This is Judges 17. He wasn't a Levite. He, he wasn't even from the family of priests. But he says, you know, I'm going to be a priest. Well, this priest decided to steal from his mom. He stole, let's say, $1,000. And his mom says, I cursed the person who stole that money from me. And, and she didn't know it was him. And then later on, he feels bad about it. He says, okay, mom, I'm the one who stole the money from you. Could you bless me? Because I feel bad that you cursed me. And, and you didn't know it was me, but it was. And so the mom says, oh, okay. I'll bless you. And you know what? The money you just gave back to me, I'm going to give a portion of that back to you so that you can, in the name of Yahweh, build an idol. You can carve an idol. You can send it to the, the, copper, uh, the person who makes idols. And, and I'm going to give you my money and dedicate it to the Lord. And so they're, they're so haywire in this day that they're going to do what's right in their own eyes. And, and, and they, had had the, they had the law. They knew the history where God says, you shall make no images. He says, in the name of Yahweh, make an image and dedicate it to the Lord. And so then at the end of that, at the end of that, that story, it says, in those days there was no king in Israel. There was anarchy. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. And then, this might be a little small because I... Always forget. I'll just read it. 
This is, this is a third example of goodness, of our perception of goodness just kind of hitting the fan. This is Jesus, the very essence of what, it, what is goodness. God coming down to earth and he says, in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he's not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my own and my own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So he defines his goodness by his sacrifice by his willingness to give of himself to prove his goodness. And then a couple verses later, it says, The division occurred among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, He is a demon and he is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others are saying, Well, these are not the things one says when he's... These are not the sayings of a demon-possessed. Demon-possessed can't open the eyes of the blind, can he? So they point back to his works as well. The point I want to make is, Jesus is teaching on his goodness, on his, what, what's going to be his sacrifice, his, his giving of himself as the good shepherd. And they say, that's evil. They, they look at Jesus, they look at his words and say, my, in my perception, that's, a, that's what a demon would say. That's a, their, their perception of good and evil was, was so backwards that they're looking at the words of goodness and saying, that is evil. That is, that is demonic. It's just the backwards understanding of goodness. And yet in Jesus, Hebrews 8.6 says, there's a better covenant with better promises. God, God doesn't let go of the, the language of covenant. He just makes it a perfect covenant where He does all the heavy lifting. He gives not just the law, not just the, the rules and regulations, but He gives His very life for us that we could know what goodness looks like. So then there's, there's the redemption that God has, has been, at, been at work doing since the fall, but it has the climax in Jesus, where he's putting things back in order. He's showcasing what goodness looks like. He made everything. He says it's very good. And now in Jesus, he's, he's putting back in order what it is to be, what is good and what is bad. God took on flesh in Christ and underwent the worst evil so that we who were evil could be made good. There's this exchange, actually, with a lot of God's attributes, there's this, there's this exchange. He loves us so that we could know what love is, so that we could love Him back. There's this, there's this exchange where he, he, who is perfect, gives Himself for us who are fully and totally imperfect so that we, in Him, could be made perfect before God. There's this continual exchange where He's the one who's giving. He's the one who's loving. He's the one who's showcasing His goodness so that our perception of what it is, what is goodness can be changed according to what He says and what He does. So we just want to look at a few psalms 
the goodness of God is, is a, among the attributes. It's an interesting one because it's often verbalized through the words of His people. God isn't really out there saying, look at my goodness. His people step back and say, wow, He is good. They see His faithfulness. They see His kindness. They see His patience. And they say, He is good. So in Psalm 119, 68, it says, You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. His, his, you are good. That's, that's, a, that's an aspect of His being. And you do good. That's, that's His doing. And it's, it's actually this, his, his doing comes out of His being. Because in His very nature, in His very character, He is good God. Everything that He does is good. How does that change our perception of God? Often we can, we can have a mental assent that, oh yes, God is good. But yet we, we have this tinge of, of doubt or this kind of expectation that, that maybe, his, maybe His intentions for me aren't that good. Maybe there's some, some maliciousness. Maybe there's some, some unresolved issues that He wants to work out in me through some other means than goodness. Some other means than, than, than being kind to me. But we see in Christ that, that He actually poured out His wrath on the perfect Son of God, on Jesus, so that He could show His grace and His mercy and His, His goodness to us. It says, you are good and you, you do good. Teach me your statutes. And then in Psalm 34, Psalm 34, 8, this is a, a famous verse. And there's so much here, and it simply says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. These are words of perception, words of experience. Tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. You know, it's interesting. A lot of, the, a lot of psalms have little superscriptions up on top of this before the psalm actually begins. And it's really hard... It's, it's hard to, to know with certainty whether that was the context of when the psalm was written, but, but and often the case is, is that the superscription points to a situation elsewhere in the Bible where the psalm was written. For Psalm 34, it says it's a psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech. Now, if you know this story, I wasn't actually as familiar with it as other stories, so I went back and and looked it up. And, and so David, King David, he's fleeing from Saul, King Saul. Saul is pursuing him, and David's running away in fear for his life. And so then he goes to this, this king of a foreign country named Abimelech, and he thought he could just kind of hang out there, rest a little while. But one of Abimelech's servants says, isn't this David, the one who they sing about? Saul has killed his thousands, David is ten thousands. Isn't this, isn't this David? And so David, he actually, it says he feigns madness. He actually just goes crazy and he acts like he's insane. So that he could convince them that he wasn't David. So that he could convince them that, that he wasn't this, this noble king who, who knew how to fight and knew how to wield a, a sword and, and lead an army. And, and Abimelech says, I have enough madmen around here. I don't need another madman. Send him away. And so David gets away. 
in the middle of this. So David is, he's running for his life and he's going to such desperate measures that he's willing to act like he's insane before a king and he himself is a king. In the middle of this, he writes, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. This is, this is like a paradox. I don't understand, David. How are you writing that you're, t- you're experiencing the goodness of God when you're running for your life? You have nothing that I could look at and say, Oh, God has been good to you. It looks like he's left you. It looks like he's deserted you, but yet you've maintain this connection with him that you can perceive even in your dire circumstances that God is being good to you and that he is good. Even though the the enemy, even though Saul and all those who are a part of his company are, are chasing you down, even though you look like you're in a hopeless situation, it appears that you still have a the awareness to say that, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's actually encouraging us from a place of hopeless, what looks to be hopeless circumstances, to, to, to know and trust that God is good. So what... What would a revelation of the goodness of God do for your life? If you were just to sit back and say, okay, yeah, among other things, God is good. If you were to really sink your teeth into this truth, not just um, you know, this mental ascent, but a revelation to where the eyes of your mind are actually enlightened, to where your heart, to where your disposition actually turns up and says, wow, I've known this all my life, but God is good. He is so good. What would that do for your life? Just a few few things to, to chew on. The goodness of God gives us a context for understanding evil. If, if we didn't know the goodness of God, then when we saw evil, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know what to call it. But because we know that God is good and we have a, a context for goodness, when we see evil, we can call it out and say, no, that's, that's evil because I know God and I know He's good and that's not what He's like. And that's against His very nature. It doesn't, it doesn't, um, the goodness of God doesn't give us a permission to sit back and say, oh, well, it's okay because God is good. It actually gives us permission to fight for the goodness of God to be revealed in the world when we see evil, when we see destruction, when we see everything that's not good, we can move toward it and say, no, God is good. And we can, we can actually be agents of redemption because we have, we have, a, con- we have, we have a context for, for what this evil is. Second thing is, is that the goodness of God actually changes our countenance, our facial expressions, the way you're perceived by others. That where you, when, you, when you have a revelation of the goodness of God, your face looks different. To where you can, no matter what circumstance you're in, you actually can carry a disposition that says, yeah, but God is good. 
It gives us hope in tough circumstances. The goodness of God is not bound by circumstances. Think of David, right? The story of David. His, his circumstances were saying one thing, but he actually was declaring and, and confessing something that was over and above what he was experiencing. And it enables us to wait because we can trust in his character. These last two, I'm going to try to unpack a little bit more. I said this already, God's goodness is not bound by our circumstances. If you can think of it as a picture, either, either our circumstances are determining whether we perceive God's goodness, or above the life that we're living is a banner that says God is good. And no matter what happens, I can perceive it through the lens of God's goodness versus allowing me to question. When we question, we typically would question God's hope on the heels of disappointment or on the heels of of pain. But that's actually the point where we have the opportunity to press in even more to God's goodness. Because in the waiting, God actually gives us strength Skipping ahead, there's a passage in Isaiah that we'll get to in a moment that points to this. So I just want to, to show us this diagram. Hopefully it's seeable. The goodness of God and our hope level. Right? It, it's on a... I don't know. The, I'm not one of those... It's on an incline. The more we understand the goodness of God, the, the more our hope for the immediate and the distant future increases. Uh, Bill Johnson, uh, a pastor that many of us may recognize, he says, hope diminishes in direct proportion to our loss of understanding the goodness of God. So when, when the goodness of God leaves our perception, we kind of just forget about it, our hope is prone to just kind of wane, just kind of sink. We're not seeing through the eyes of hope. We're not seeing through the lens of the goodness of God. But in the waiting, uh, one of the things I mentioned, it, a, a revelation of the goodness of God enables us to wait because we can trust in His character. We, we know He is good, so we can wait to see it come. This is the passage in Isaiah. The Israelites are in Babylon, as this is written. And in Isaiah 40, verse 1 God says, comfort, comfort my people. Tell them that they've paid double for all their sins. Their their warfare is over. I will deliver them back into the land. And then in verse 40, he he says this, Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. In, when, we, when we have a, a context of the goodness of God, it gives us hope in the waiting. And as we wait before Him to see His goodness unfold, He actually gives us strength to press on and to persevere. We will gain new strength. A strength that is, that is foreign to us will be given to us in the waiting 
because we trust in His character that He is good and that He will follow through on His promises, that He is good and He does good, that His very character is good, and so He acts and everything that He does is good. So, I just have a few, uh, this, this is a story from this last week. I was supposed to preach this message last week in Kalamazoo, in Nichols, but I actually got hit with this meningitis that I've never, I didn't even know what that was. And it just knocked me out. And for two, almost two weeks, I had this headache that wouldn't go away. And then it moved to my neck. And I, I had the only thing that helped was to lay down. No medication help. No, nothing helped. And even when I laid down, I could hardly sleep. I actually had to go to the hospital, which I was not looking forward to. And even then, they couldn't give me medication because it was a virus. And so it was, so for two weeks, I was just trying to prepare a message about the goodness of God <laughs> and getting hit with this horrible headache that I've, like, I've never had anything like it. And thinking, okay, there's something, there's something more going on here that I can learn from. And I'm still processing that. But I know that God is good. And I'm thinking, um, as I was praying, actually this was last week, but it, it applies just as well for today, that I believe that God actually wants to bring breakthrough to a few people today, specifically Anybody who struggles with anxiety or depression, anybody who, who has stress or chronic worry, anybody who struggles with self-hate and the spirit of hopelessness, and anybody who has regular migraines or tension headaches. Often, uh, when it comes to, to understanding the way that God wants to move, God will give words of, words of knowledge actually to where your body feels something that, that is actually for somebody else. And so, although this headache lasted way too long and was way too severe, I still believe that, that through it, it gives me actually even more hope and even more of a desire to see anybody else who struggles in these areas to be set free by the power of God. And so, I just, I just want us all to stand up, if we could do that. And if, if any of those things are you, you, you would know that and just, and just hear, hear the words that I'm going to say as spoken to you, but I just want to I just want to pray and, and bless you all, and then specifically pray for a few of these a few of these things that I felt like God showed me. So, oh God, we reflect, we meditate on your goodness. We confess and we declare that you are good. You are so good. God, I pray that we would begin to see through that lens. We would, we would, the eyes of our hearts would be opened that we would actually see and we would taste 
that you are good. Father, I pray right now for, for, um, for anybody with anxiety or depression. And I pray that, that, that the revelation of your goodness would actually break off <coughs> anxiety and depression. I pray against stress and, um, and, and chronic worry. I just see God breaking off the, 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 the burden, the yoke of chronic worry. <clears throat> for self-hate, anybody who's walked around with this, this uh, kind of constant self-criticism and self-hatred, uh, who, who, who've lived under this state of, I need to be perfect, I need to act perfect, I need to live perfect, God wants to just break that off of you in Jesus' name. And the spirit of hopelessness, God is just breaking off the spirit of, of hopelessness to where you can begin to see through the eyes of hope. No matter what circumstance you're in, no matter what situation you're facing, oftentimes you get more of what you meditate on. God wants to say, quit focusing on all the stuff that isn't perfect and focus on my goodness and allow me to to pour out my favor and my kindness on you. And then, God, I pray, I just declare right now a breaking of tension headaches and migraine headaches. Anybody who in here who struggles with that, anybody who, who here who has dealt with that for any period of time, in Jesus' name, I just break off the oppression of migraine headaches and tension headaches. In Jesus' name, I thank you, God, that you are good. Not only are you good, but you are able and you are powerful. Your goodness has an avenue through your power. So we thank you, Jesus, for your goodness, that you are the good shepherd. We receive the revelation of of your goodness into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we're going to have a prayer team up in the front here, if, if you just feel like you need to, to sit in this a little bit longer, you have some specific needs that you want to get prayer for, even if anything that I mentioned. Um, otherwise, greet one another, give a hug, give a high five. There's coffee and donuts in the foyer. Enjoy those and bless you all.